Greetings and salutations from Times Square, crossroads of the world. This is the Muni Lowdown, produced by DebtWire Municipals, where we talk about this week's most interesting stories in the municipal bond market. And I am your host, Young Lim, desk editor at DebtWire Municipals. Hello again, and it is Tuesday, November 12th, 2019. Welcome, everybody. And we've got two of our reporters on the line today. And we've got Caitlin Devitt in Chicago. She'll talk about her story on the failed renewable energy project in Glendale, Arizona, and the spreads of the state of Illinois saw in the secondary market on its general obligation bond sale. And we have Miami-based reporter Simone Barabo, who will give us the latest on what is going on in the Puerto Rico court cases. So let's start off with Caitlin. Caitlin, how are you doing today? I'm pretty good. How are you in New York, Young? We're okay. A little cool out here, but I heard that uh, you've got some bad weather out in Chicago. Yep, already snow and ice and freezing temperatures, so we're drinking a lot of hot coffee this morning. I don't know if you saw on the news about the airline that landed at O'Hare and it skidded off the runway. It was on yeah, the news I saw week. that. Wow, amazing. Okay, so let's start with your first story today. We've got a basically a failed renewable energy project outside of Phoenix, Arizona, which is, I believe, in Glendale, which I believe has hosted two Super Bowls, by the way. But <laughs> looks like the bondholders are facing huge losses. So tell us about the project and exactly what went wrong there. So this is a project, as you said, in Glendale, about a half an hour outside of Phoenix, and um, it's called Vieste, S-P-E. Um, this is a project that is a renewable energy project. They floated 29 million of solid waste facility revenue bonds in 2013 to finance the startup of the project. They were supposed to build and operate their own waste to energy facility. They were leasing land from Glendale for the project, and the bonds were payable from revenue, you know, as all project facility um, project finance deals work. They were the bonds were payable from the revenues from the project. In this case, Glendale was going to pay Vieste uh, to collect the city's solid waste, separate out the recyclables, make some renewable energy from some of those um, from some of the solid waste stream. Vieste was going to sell that sort of um, a structure that we see in a lot of renewable energy deals across the country. But in this case, the project never even got off the ground. And uh, that sparked a bond default and sort of immediate lawsuits between Vieste and Glendale. Vieste sued Glendale, saying that they were including lawn waste in their um, in their in their waste stream, and that they had they should be separating that out, and that that the Vieste could not do that unless the city. Um, separated out the lawn waste and the city was saying no we don't we didn't have to do that so they had started litigation right away from there and then as i said it never got off the ground they never generated any revenue so they got a uh, so they uh defaulted on their bonds so i know the bondholders have to take a haircut how big of a haircut are they looking at and what are they going to do about it well at this point um the the latest is you know, as I said, they issued 29 million, and the latest that they're, look, they're looking at possibly recovering maybe 1 million, maybe wow. 1.2 million. Yeah, so almost totally wiped out. Right. That, 
that distribution is supposed to happen by the end of the year. What they're doing is the project was taken over by a receiver um, because of the court dispute, and the receiver thought originally that they could sell the building. Um, it turns out they can't even sell it, so they're basically dismantling it, and they're selling it for scrap. And so they think maybe they'll get like a million for the scrap, and they'll give that back out of that original $29 um, million. So the, um, you asked what the bondholders are doing about it. Well, the bondholders have sued. They've sued everyone. They sued um, Vieste as well as the underwriters and even the bond council on the original um, on the original borrowing. So they're in U.S. District Court in Arizona, trying in in that bond is, uh, that um, that lawsuit is sort of ongoing. As the as is a lawsuit between Glendale and Vieste. By the way, that that's continuing. There was appeals hearings on that last week, and the on the bondholder side, they are they're amending their complaint and they're going to um, submit that next week. So that continues to go on. Well, that's literally scraps, like you said. That's a huge haircut. So, uh, so let's talk about now the lawsuit. What's next? What's next? And I think there are two separate lawsuits, correct? Well, there's the Glendale Vieste lawsuit going on, and then there's the bondholder lawsuit. Right. And on that, um, as I said, there were they were the court in late last year dismissed their original. Um, their original complaint under the Arizona Securities Act, but allowed them to file an amended complaint. That's going to be filed, as I said, by uh, November 15th, by next week. They're suing Vieste as well as the underwriters who were Lawson Financial. Some of our listeners might remember Lawson. They were... Um, they backed some... They, they uh, underwrote some deals in the charter school... Uh, sector in Arizona, and the financial industry regulatory authority banned them in 2017 from the securities market for allegations of fraud tied to those charter school deals. So they sued Lawson on that um, as underwriter and also H.J. H.J. Sims, which is the underwriter on the deal. And and I should say it wasn't bond counsel. I, I said that that was a mistake. It was actually underwriter's counsel that has been sued, which is Peck Schaefer and Williams. They've since been, uh, merged with Dinsmore and Scholl. So they've also sued them. And their argument is basically that they were defrauded because the official statement contained material omissions and misstatements that, that should have been included that would have alerted them to the higher risk involved. All right. Very interesting. Well, thank you, Caitlin, for that. And have another cup of, co- of hot cocoa. In the meantime, keep warm. We'll come back to you. <laughs> Thanks. Okay. All right. Let's move on to some warmer weather. Simone, how are you down there in Miami? Doing well. Can't complain. All right. I heard it's like 80 degrees out there. Yeah. Yeah. We, we haven't been hit by uh, whatever's hitting you up north yet. All right. Well, hopefully you'll never do. Uh, but anyway. All right. So the let's talk. aren't falling out of the trees. <laughs> So let's talk about your stories. Uh, I know you cover the court cases in Puerto Rico. So tell us about the major developments that's been going on, in, especially in Puerto Rico's restructuring last week. Right. Well, the docket was relatively quiet, but what became clear is that really nothing is settled. And you saw that first and foremost with a couple of appeals on the COFINA restructuring. COFINA is the Spanish acronym for the Puerto Rico Sales Tax Financing Authority. So that restructuring was done almost a year ago, and it's been consummated. It's 
done and dusted or appears done and dusted. But the Financial Oversight and Management Board was unsuccessful in arguing that it was too late to bring an appeal, at least at this early stage. So last week, two different groups filed their opening salvos and a couple of appeals to the restructuring. In one case, individual bondholders are arguing that without a court order, each and every bondholder needs to agree to the release to release the lien on sales tax funds before the lien can be released. So cuts to those payments and a release of the lien on some of those funds were negotiated between a group of major bondholders and unsecured creditors committee, which represented Puerto Rico, and that was voted on and the vast majority voted for it, but obviously each and every individual bondholder didn't vote for it. And the other case basically says that it was unconstitutional to have the legislature, this is the the Commonwealth legislature, approve the restructuring because it didn't allow a local lawmaker to speak against the restructuring, as was his right. They did it very quickly. He asked to speak. He was told no, according to this. And so because of that, they're saying this was never legally approved by the legislature. So... Let me ask you a question. Can the uh, COFINA restructuring be undone if they win? So that's a multi-billion dollar question, and it's a really good (laughs) one, and I don't have an answer to it. The bondholders argue, and there's some case law to back this up, that as long as they have any shot at getting any additional money, it doesn't have to be the full amount that they would have gotten had the restructuring been done properly, if it's found to have been done improperly to begin with, that they can bring the case. So it's unclear exactly how much money is at stake if they win. I see. So, Simone, you mentioned that nothing was settled. Are there any, any, example, any other examples of this? directly the courts, but there were a few earnings calls last week of insurers who insure municipal bond debt in Puerto Rico. And I listened to Assurance and my colleague Patrick Ferguson listened to AMBAX. And Assurance was all smiles and roses and things may get better with the new governor. And AMBAX CEO focused on the general obligation plan support agreement and his frustrations with it. Now, Assure doesn't like that agreement either. It gives general obligation bondholders between 23 and 73 cents on the dollar, depending on which issuance they have and whether the oversight board has challenged it. No one's happy with that except for people who bought at relatively low prices. But with the new governor and with recent court rulings, Assured CEO is more hopeful that these negotiations would move in a positive direction. I would also argue, though, that Assured has been doing fairly well in the negotiations in general. It has the option to insure some of the new PREPA, that's the Puerto Rico Electric Power Authority debt, for instance. And AMBAC has different issues that it's facing, like getting federal excise tax reimbursements for its debt. So it makes sense that the insurers would have different feelings toward the island's government. Right. You, you mentioned AMBEC and Assured. It seemed like night and day in terms of uh, what's going on. Because um, yeah. obviously with, um, with Assured, they had a strong third quarter, which they talked about in the, in the uh, investor call. But let's talk about Assured and their CEO, uh, Dominic Federico. Mm-hmm. What, what court ruling did he discuss on the earnings call? ruling per se. He talked about the Supreme Court's refusal last month to take up a case in which the First Circuit ruled that a mistranslation of the employee's retirement system's name in a key document resulted in bondholders not having a claim to employer contributions. 
so that was a win for bondholders, obviously. They, the fact that there was a mistranslation now doesn't make any difference at all. But in the end, it's kind of a minor ruling in the sense that there are a ton of other challenges to bondholders' liens on those contributions, and bondholders have to win all of them to get any significant amount of money. And even this week, the Oversight Board fought counterclaims on the ERS employees' retirement system bonds in a couple of different cases. One was a set of avoidance actions where the system is trying to get money back that they paid out on the bonds over the past few years. And the other is a case in which the system argued that the security interest never attached to employer contributions. And they're making a few different arguments. But one is basically that this was high yield debt. Investors took on risk. That's why they got high yield. And the risk that they took on was they might not get paid back because the liens were on funds that could be cut or the liens maybe never attached to begin with. And so they shouldn't get paid. The other one is known as the doctrine of unclean hands, which basically means that bondholders acted unethically, so they shouldn't get paid. They don't go into the theory on this in the court documents this past week, but it's likely to be that the legislature never allowed the employee's retirement system to issue debt, and bondholders should have known that. So when they bought the debt, they bought debt that was illegally issued, and that was on them. Well, thank you very much, Simone, and um, thank you for your work. I'm thinking, thank you. I'm thinking maybe uh, swapping you and Kaylin. Maybe uh, Kaylin can come down to warm up, and you can go up north to cool down. I, I don't know, but anyway. <laughs> it's all about choices. <laughs> okay. Thanks, Simone. All right, Kaylin, you warmed up up there? No, I haven't, nope. but thank you. I was a little, got a little bit warmer listening to Simone from Miami, but not enough. All right. Let's uh, finish up with your second story that we're highlighting uh, this week on the podcast about the state of Illinois where you live. And their um, Illinois, uh, let's see, they came to market last week with about $750 million of general obligation bonds. How did the state do? Well, the state did for the state, for the for Illinois, which is the lowest rated state in the union and has the widest spreads, they did pretty well for them. They The spreads came in narrower than we've seen in recent deals. And also then the geo bonds are trading on the secondary market. Um, it's great market, so they took advantage of that. So for the state, they did pretty well. Right, great. And now I know the bonds were sold competitively. They were divided into three tranches. So, and I believe it's part of uh, the largest infrastructure plan in the state's history. So tell us what will Illinois use this bond, bond proceeds for? Well, just as you said, they're using it for this capital plan. It's $45 billion capital plan that was passed last year by the State General Assembly. And they're, they're, the, the, um, the plan is financed with an exp- a major expansion in gambling and sport, legal sports betting and uh, gas tax and, and some other fees and taxes. So they kind of have these different revenue, a bunch of different revenue sources that are backing the, the – um, the uh, the capital plan, which is, which is as I said, the biggest. It's going to finance, you know, just kind of the typical what they call vertical, not the new thing, vertical and horizontal infrastructure, so roads and bridges, and then also buildings and other capital projects all across the state. So it sounds like uh, state lawmakers are in kind of a special session this week. What's on their agenda? They are 
they're back for a veto session, which they have. It's very short. They came back uh, a few days, a couple weeks ago. Now they're in for this week. And it's typical time when they pick up veto bills, although this time they don't have any vetoes, vetoes that they're taking up, you know, vetoes meaning bills that the governor has vetoed that then they can take up and override if they want. They're not doing any of that, but they are doing some separate already filed legislation that they're allowed to take up. This is traditionally a time also in Illinois where some big ticket items get passed, you know, tax increases. This week, I think for our listeners, the most interesting thing is the possibility of passing pension consolidation. This is the state has about 650 police and fire pension funds held by downstate towns and cities across the state um, that does not include Chicago, it does not include the state's own pension funds, and it does not include any of the downstate municipal employees. It's just police and fire, public safety. There's about 650 of them. This uh, legislation, which has been proposed by the, which is supported and proposed by the governor, would consolidate all of those in an effort to sort of boost investment returns by scaling everything up. That's something that a lot of people have pushed for a long time because a lot of these funds are badly funded. As you can imagine, they're small and they're badly funded and the governing's all over the place. So that's something that's going to come up. And I think for our listeners, that might be the most interesting thing. There's also some ethics legislation and then a bunch of kind of little bills. Everybody's watching to see if Chicago Mayor Lori Lightfoot can get her. She has a couple things that she wants to get done this session. One is a graduated real estate uh, tax. So that would sort of, she thinks that would generate about I think it's about 60 million in the F, in the fiscal year 20 budget then about 100 million after that in new money by imposing a larger real estate transfer tax on high um, on on more expensive homes and so that's something that she needs state authority for she was she is probably going to try to get that passed this week, but the chances are kind of slim. They were Everybody thought it would have been able to be passed before. Now it seems like they're kind of slim. She also wants to revamp this tax structure on the casino legislation that I mentioned before, that gaming expansion. Um, includes kind of a high tax rate for a Chicago casino. She wants to be able to bring that down to attract more operators. And that's also kind of questionable. So we're going to be watching to see what happens on the Chicago front, if anything. Wow, a lot of things are going on there, definitely. And like you said, Illinois is the lowest rated state in the nation, in the state nation. At uh, Geo Bonds are care ratings of BAA3 from Moody's, Triple B minus from S&P, and Triple B from Fitch. And all three maintain a stable outlook. So that's for our listeners out there. Thank you, Kaylin, for your coverage. Thank you, Simone. Thank you to our producer, Anthony Phillips, and most of all to our listeners out there who tune in week after week to our Mini Lowdown podcast. Take care, everyone. Stay dry, stay warm, and stay safe out there. Have a good day. Thanks for listening to the Mini Lowdown with me, your host, Young Lim. If you want to know more, subscribe to DebtWire.com and follow us on social media. Please leave comments, rate, like, and share. Join us next week when we talk about the latest in the municipal bond market.